Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Bigly Blast. Treading water is okay. Without Devin Booker, it's even understandable. But underwater, that's a different story. And if and when the Suns fall under 500 in the next two weeks, that's to say if and when they actually show up in the standings with a losing record, it will be a deeply disturbing moment for a team, the organization, and a region of increasingly frustrated Suns fans. As in, why is the general manager led? this happen? Why are there no life preservers on this boat? And what happened to all that love that was born inside a bubble? Because it's pretty obvious the internal growth isn't happening. Full commitment to the cause isn't happening, as evidenced by a spate of embarrassing blowouts. Mikhail Bridges has been asked to do more, and in the process, he's actually regressing. And DeAndre Ayton's ongoing passivity and childlike immaturity is becoming serious infuriating and honestly I nearly threw my phone across the room the other day when I saw him doing handstands after practice. Now maybe James Jones is punting on the season entirely aware that the Chris Paul window is closed and the team is in the midst of an organizational transition. I mean he swears he isn't handcuffed by the veto power of the outgoing owner although the organization has been pretty loose with the truth in those matters recently. So it the bottom line, at the end of it all, there's just a lot of confusion as to who this team is, where this team is going, and what happened to the group that made the Valley swoon. Like they say, falling in love is easy. Staying in love, that takes a little more work. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable. They've got two great locations, and you can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. There's been a lot of speculation, and I've kind of shot these down. But like that, that you know, maybe you were handcuffed and you couldn't trade a first round draft pick until there was an ownership change. But none of that was really true, right? You've had the the ability to go make deals and sign players and things like that on your own, as it is right now. Correct? Um, we, I've had I've had the ability to do some things. Um, evidently, when you're when you're like where we are. Um, just not us, but the other other franchises and the you know, counterparts. They think about okay, um, what's the likelihood something will be able to get done? Uh, so it, it it ices it, it chills it a little bit. But um, as far as business, we've been able to to have the conversations and focus on the things we think can improve the team, and uh, we'll continue to do so going forward. All right, that was the voice of James Jones a couple of weeks ago on Burns and Gamble. He was on again yesterday, spoke about this matter. Now, keep in mind, in between, there was a report from ESPN's Brian Windhorst uh, citing multiple sources that Robert Sarver's got more veto power than any of us realized going into this. More veto power than Sam Garvin indicated to Dwayne Rankin in an interview when he said, no, we can do things, it's just we can't get crazy. And so James Jones was asked this again yes, yesterday. They, they asked the, has Sarver's veto power interfered? No, it hasn't. We've we've been consistent since day one. I mean, we've known what the parameters for operation for our operation has been and will continue to be until there's a transition or uh, to new ownership. Um, and so we've been business as usual. So there's been at no point where you've got vetoed on any possible trade that you've had discussions with or presented. No, I haven't. 
All right. So, uh, and again, uh, there are words. It's it's real easy to say a lot of different things. There seems to be a contradiction here between what James Jones is saying and what Brian Windhorst is inferring. Because Brian Windhorst in his story cited multiple sources that multiple multiplayer deals um, have been discussed. And they're the kind of deals that would have had to go across Robert Sarver's desk. So, So either James Jones still hasn't seen anything he likes... Or there's more to this that we don't know about. My other concern when trying to assess the truth in the matter is the timing of the Windhorst article, the sources of the Windhorst article. The Suns are are mired in a losing streak right now. For that article to pop, it's almost as if somebody... Like, like Brian Windhorst didn't wake up one day and say, I, I wonder why the Suns aren't making a trade. Let me look no. into it. It's almost like somebody came to him with it mm-hmm. out of frustration that there's an issue with the current setup in Phoenix in terms of trying to right. make deals. Right. That That's... And I'm not saying that for sure. I'm saying, that, you know, as I look at it, that would be a concern to me. Yeah. The the genesis, if you will, well, of the Windhorse story and what, why it came out when it did. I mean, he's a fine reporter, obviously, mm-hmm. but I wonder if there is a reason that it came to him in that way and that he went ahead right. and, and wrote the article. Well, it seems to me that either Brian Windhorse was misled or James Jones is running cover for his bosses um, for whom have been very good to him. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what else to say about this. Here. I, 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 and I think that's a real possibility. Mm-hmm. And once the ownership transition happens, would James Jones confide in a different story to a, a friendly media person like a Mark Spears? Would we perhaps, or even a Brian Windhorst? Would we get? Would we get a different story once? Power has been yeah. has been shifted. I, would, I don't know. Yeah, I would. I would. I would make up a, a strong plea with the NBA to do what you can to fast track this sale to get this thing done before the trade deadline to give this team a chance to compete this year. If Matt Ishbia so chooses to do so, let's. But let's no. re-listen to the the answer again mm-hmm. because it sort of could be semantics. That Robert Sarver never had to veto anything because they knew what they could and couldn't do. They didn't even try to do big moves because they knew that it would be vetoed. So, you know, did it was his veto power an issue? No, it hasn't. We've we've been consistent since day one. I mean, we've known what the parameters for operation for our operation has been and will continue to be until there's a transition or uh, to new ownership. Um, and so we've been business as usual. So there's been at no point where you've got vetoed on any possible trade that you've had discussions with or presented? No, I haven't. See, the, the answer that we've known what the parameters are until the transition is made makes me think that, like, they know they can't make any big moves. So there, there hasn't been anything vetoed because they know they can't make any big moves. Yeah, but, they, but in the short term, do they need to make big moves? And what is stopping them from trading Jay Crowder? I don't know. I mean, that, that well, well, but, but, James me, Jones, listen, there's, there's a fundamental huge piece of information we are missing with this story, and it all rests with Jay Crowder. Why is he playing? What the heck happened that made it so severe that he is outside of this circle, and why do the Suns feel compelled to still pay him if this is something that was Jay Crowder driven? Exactly. Why does he not want to be here? Why do they not want him here? And why are they still paying him if that's the case? 
One more, just one more James Jones cut. Will a team look the same post-trade deadline? I just think how, how we play from here going forward determines a lot. Um, I, I wouldn't project. I can't tell you what it looks like, but I do know. You know, we we have aspirations of of, of being a, a good team, and in order to do that, you have to perform consistently well. We just haven't done that, so it's it's not you know an alarm for us. But we're conscious that you know we we have goals of winning titles and and, and being a contender and, and winning a lot of games, and so the things that we focus on and, and the moves that we make in the future will align with that. If they don't, if they don't make a significant move, mm-hmm. that, and, and Jay Crowder could be part of a significant move, Jay Crowder could be uh, a one to one trade. That's a secondary move to a significant move that involves future draft picks. If they don't do something like that, Bick, they're essentially punting on the Chris Paul window. Yeah, that's exactly. And what they paid, doing. and they paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. To Keep the Chris Paul window and, open, and he's and he's under contract one more year, and he's under contract one more year. Yeah, and I don't think when they signed him to the three year deal, I'm not sure they really thought that third year would would be a part of the window. It was basically last year and this year. I mean mm-hmm. that they were they were hoping that they could strike well, and get that title because now you're talking about a 38 year old Chris Paul next year. Well, and uh, let me uh, here's the other issue as well. Uh, somebody in the Western Conference came out and said, "Look, there are so many teams in playoff contention right now. There are not a lot of sellers right now. There are not a lot of teams motivated to trade right now. So the idea that there's just all this stuff out there that the Suns could choose, I mean, teams would have to want what the Suns are willing to trade them. That's why you almost got to. That that's part of the waiting I, game. You got to wait till see teams like they, they. Okay, we okay, we suck. Let's let's get, get rid of some guys. That won't happen until late yeah, January. And I, you know, if Robert Sarver is vetoing trades before we hit the break, I mean, would the Suns admit that publicly on the I, radio? I, I doubt it. Mm-mm. I doubt it. No, I. I mean, that's not that. That wouldn't. That would be bad. Yeah, that would be bad. So uh, again, James so Jones it, might be doing his job there. It's, you know, it's it's a, a very confusing time for Suns fans. And like I said, if this team ends up under five hundred at some point, that's pre bubble kind of stuff. Now they finished under five hundred the bubble year, but everything that happened in the back end of that season was all super positive. So this is this is quite something. All right, on the other side, big weekend in the NFL. Bobby Wagner's return to. Seattle. Will Lamar Jackson play in Baltimore? We'll get you caught up. Some hash marks next. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Morata. Hash marks. Again, I think it's. I think it was. Uh, there was a reason for that, and then I think it's different. It's, it's one. Like I'm pretty sure you played your family before in like basketball, golf, or whatever. Like when you play like your friend or like that person you met over there. You know, y'all playing, y'all might talk a little trash. It was just, but when you playing your family member that you that knows your like deepest, darkest secrets and know exactly what to say to you when you to make you feel some type of way, and also you know you playing the organization that you felt gave up on you, so it's it was warranted to be honest. And then again, I'm playing against people I know how to push their buttons too, so I know exactly what to say to them to make them mad, and I did that. All right, that the voice of Rams linebacker Bobby Wagner returning to Seattle and playing in the Seattle in Seattle for the first time since being released by the Seahawks last offseason. Uh, that's going to be one of the interesting games this weekend because the Rams have been a disaster. They're five and eleven going into the final game of the season. Sean McVay said yesterday that this, the whole season is a quote professional failure end quote. 
Um, you'd have to look hard and uh, far and long or far and hard to find a defending Super Bowl champion that was as pitiful as this one, right? I think they're the, aren't they like... Yeah, the most losses ever. They're the most losses, so they they have the record. They are are the record. Now, again, the injury to Matthew Stafford, it's something and part of that, but this team, you could smell it a mile away that they were going to have a hard time kind of getting back that vibe from last year. Well, they, they, and it it sounds crazy because the Cardinals are, can say, hey, hey, Dan and Tim, you know, we have the same offensive line issues and you guys give us a hard time. But the Rams offensive line was decimated mm-hmm. early on in the season. You know, they had some guys retire and, and they, they were already kind of light there as well. They couldn't protect Matthew Stafford. Mm-hmm. He was under duress. He was getting hit. Sean McVay couldn't play call himself out of that. Cooper Cup goes down midseason. So that is a team that was beset by, by right. injuries rather than complacency. Mm-hmm. But you're right. They didn't exactly have the the Super Bowl look about him early on no. when guys were healthy. No. So Bobby Wagner is a reason uh, that people believe that the Rams would love to end the season by eliminating the Seahawks. Now, the Seahawks are not a win-and-get-in situation. They have got to win and hope the Packers lose to the Lions to get in. But what the Rams can do is they can effectively eliminate the Seahawks, which is something that Bobby Wagner says he's vibing on. And that would be uh, very, very welcome news to not only people in L- actually probably it would probably be celebrated more in Detroit than L.A. if the Rams <laughs> can beat <laughs> true. the, the Seahawks. True. Right? Mm-hmm. Everybody in L.A. is like, eh, oh, they played today. Yeah, who cares? Whereas Detroit, what do the Raiders do right. Yeah, right. <laughs> in Detroit, they're throwing a parade. Yeah, because that would obviously render the the Lions in a win and get in situation. Well, listen, I I do think that this is um this is a an interesting game for Pete Carroll and the Seahawks because he and Geno Smith they had authored such a tremendous comeback underdog story for the first two-thirds of the season. They don't win this game. They walk out with a losing record. It's real hard to stamp that as a Cinderella story. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I do want to see Seattle lose this football game, and not not to hate on the 12s, but I really want to see that Green Bay-Detroit game just be as monumental as possible. You can hate on the 12s. Okay, that's a lot. I'll hate on the twelves. I mean, they've they've won two of their last seven games. If my if my my math is mm-hmm. is right on the fly here, they were six and three, and they were the story of the NFL after beating the Cardinals here in Glendale on November sixth. Then it all kind of went downhill. Their only wins were uh, in L.A. against the Rams, and then they beat the Jets at home last week to keep their playoff hopes alive. So yeah, it kind of went south on them mm-hmm. in a hurry. I like to say I think it's sometimes it's you're regressing to the mean, and I think that the Seahawks maybe came back down to earth a little bit and, and, yeah, and, yes. and played to their true yes. colors as yeah. opposed to well, way over their head now, for the first nine games. Now keep in mind here, this is this is interesting because as we talked about, Seattle has got Denver's draft pick. It's either going to be three or four, depending on what the Broncos do this weekend. So the Seahawks have to say to themselves, do we have the quarterback we want going forward? and Or do we use this time to go and draft our own franchise quarterback? And in all of this matters because going into the NFL draft, there's going to be a 1A and a 1B. It's going to be Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, both who showed out in bowl games or playoff games. And so these guys are going to be top five picks. 
And and clearly, when you take a look at the top of the draft, the Houston Texans need a quarterback. So if that's Bryce Young, then there's C.J. Stroud sitting there. And if you're the Cardinals and you're at number four, you would love for that player to fall to you so you could trade him down to somebody else. It's a matter of what Seattle is going to do with that, whether they think they've got the quarterback in Geno Smith or not. I don't know. I If, if it were me, I, I would I would say... There's a spot here for Geno Smith, but I might be drafting a guy. I would think about drafting a guy as well. But I would think even if you think Geno Smith. I mean, Geno Smith Maybe. is no youngster yeah. anymore. But, some, but some, again, this is a team that prides itself on running in defense, and if he, that's that's a that's a that's a high that's a high dollar pick there. Sometimes it might just be how 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 do they evaluate C.J. Stroud? I mean, if they're kind of lukewarm on him, then that that determines that it might just be a broad brush blanket deal. Well, we're we don't believe in Geno, so mm-hmm. we're going to take the next best quarterback after Bryce Young. Also, keep an eye like Will Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Pick you mentioned Richardson the other day. And yeah. you're dead right. These are the kind of guys oh. that suddenly oh. after <laughs> after a lot of film mm-hmm. review and a, mm-hmm. lot, a lot of combine and a lot of pro days, all of a sudden those. Those guys are talked yeah. about yes. even higher than C.J. Stroud. I'm not predicting that, but that's something that could happen. You're right. I think you're Bryce, right. Bryce Young, you might as well take a Sharpie right now and fill out the card yeah. for the Texans. I right? think that, you're right. I think that's the way yes. that's going That's going to go. But yeah. there could be other. My point is but there could right. be Will other. Will Levis from Kentucky is, a, is has been declared a unanimous top 10 pick. We don't know how high he's going to go. It's Anthony Richardson kid, though, from, from Florida. He has got measurables that are will blow your mind, and they will blow people minds at the combine exactly right? exactly and right and rightly or wrongly mm-hmm. they could shoot themselves up into the you know the top five conversation about who goes where bears are not taking a bears. quarterback though at bears. Two. bears bears are taking anderson or carter yep Mm-hmm. So that's going to leave the Cardinals if they don't want to uh, trade out. I'm telling you, I, the ability to get the other guy, as long as the Seahawks take a quarterback, assuming the Broncos lose. I, I love what you said earlier, though. I the, There's a real chance that the Broncos yes. are going to fall to four and the Cardinals can get to three because, again, this Chargers versus Broncos game in Denver, it made it may shake out where the Chargers have nothing to play for and play nobody, and the Broncos put forth their best effort of the season. And, and if you it, missed it earlier... For that to happen, all you needed, all you need is is Joe Burrow to win a football game against the Ravens without Lamar Jackson. Do you yeah. think that's going to happen? I think there's a pretty good chance. Uh, yeah, suddenly, the tra- suddenly the Chargers are resting everybody against the Broncos. How do you know Lamar Jackson's not playing? What do you think, Jim Har- or John Harbaugh? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just probably going to leave all that stuff alone. You know, I'm going to focus on the game and. Uh, what the heck is We're gonna that? We're going to get into uh, Lamar Jackson again in the in the nine o'clock hour because this is a fascinating development in in Baltimore, where the Ravens with Lamar Jackson they're a Super Bowl contender without him they're they're just okay. This is a guy they haven't paid that they is. You talk about a lot of stuff swirling. And when Harbaugh answers a question like that, that to me like says that? there's something going on yes. about contracts yes. and health yes. and risking and all that good I, stuff. I hear the exact same thing. All right, coming up on the other side, we're going to visit with one of our favorites, the grumpy, cantankerous Ray Ratto joins us next. Tim Ring in for Vinny. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
Welcome back. Happy Thursday, everybody. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring filling in for Vince Morata. He'll be back next week. And our next guest, he's been the voice of authority in the Bay Area for decades. And he's actually a super nice guy, contrary to his reputation as being the curmudgeonly, cantankerous king of kvetching. <laughs> How's that for alliteration? Ray Ratto. How are you, Ray? Bickley, you social misfit. <laughs> that's that's putting it kindly, Ray. All right, well, we got to... It's good to have you, I mean, Ray. I assume Murata's just quit. Yeah. I mean, he can't possibly be continuing to endure you. He's hiding under All his right, sheets right now, Ray. He's, he's, he's yeah, afraid he to come curled, out. Curled in a fetal ball. No? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, well, we got a football game this weekend in San Francisco. What What do you? Uh, what can you tell, if anything, from the vibe of the 49ers' mood and appetite to play football after what happened on Monday Night Football? Um, I think uh, it becomes much easier given the good news of the morning. Uh, which is that there's you're starting to see some considerable improvement in Hamlin's condition. So I think, you know, they, I think they'll be okay with it just because, you know, the news is suddenly good. And now, you know, the notion that, you know, that everybody had on Monday night that you might be looking at somebody dying on the field is beginning to fade. Yep. I mean, he's certainly not out of danger, but I, you know, I, I think it's, I think they will process it now because they'll be able to with a clear conscience that, you know, as awful as it was, it's not worse. You know, Ray, uh, moving to the game, Brock Purdy's numbers have been sensational uh, since taking over. Uh, I mean, from where you sit, is this a young man who's been blessed with a lot of pieces and parts around him and he's taking advantage of them to the fullest extent? Or is this a kid that you could see as potentially maybe being the team's quarterback of the future when it's all said and done. How are you processing that, even though it's only been four career starts? Um, Well, first of all, it has only been four career starts, um, so you're right there. Secondly, it's not like he's been overburdened by brutal uh, competition that has been testing him, um, which makes life much easier as well. And he is stuck on a team where, they have a very good defense, so he only has to put up 20 points a game to survive. And he's got Christian McCaffrey, which is way better than your average five-game suspension. Um, that said, he hasn't failed in this situation. His numbers look a lot, quite frankly, like Jimmy Garoppolo's, which leads me to a conclusion that I don't know if it's defensible, but it feels good to me, is that <laughs> Kyle Shanahan has noticed the carnage in the quarterback position um, over the last several years where a lot of backups get more run than they ever did before, either because the starter gets hurt or the starter becomes ineffective. So what he's done is built a team that is not entirely dependent on the quarterback saving their bacon week in and week out. It's a, it's a team that, you know, they, they, you know, all you have to do to win a game if you're, you're the 49ers is score 20 because the other team's not getting that high. And you also have in Christian McCaffrey a guy who makes the offense significantly simpler because he takes the decisions out of your hand a minimum of 25 plays out of the game. Wow. So in that way, Purdy is the beneficiary of a system that basically would allow almost any competent quarterback to thrive. 
That said, he's a competent quarterback in a field of not very competent quarterbacks. So I don't want to minimize the credit he should get, but I also don't want to say this is the future of quarterbacking. What is going to happen? What do your instincts tell you will happen if if they get into the playoffs and then Jimmy G is suddenly healthy and ready to go? Do you stay with the guy that's been winning? What? How do you think Kyle Shanahan handles that if that is what is going to happen? Well, that sort of depends on how they look uh, in the playoff games going into that. If their offense is suddenly starting to struggle, um, you know, maybe he does go back to Garoppolo. One of the things that that I've come to learn over the years is that Shanahan is really good at not making a decision he doesn't have to make. Uh, he can wait on things. I mean, the, the Garoppolo thing is really instructive of that because, one, he, he went and took Trey Lance is the, is the third pick in the draft because he said, I've got to get another quarterback. Well, Trey Lance has not worked out for any number of reasons, most of them not his fault. But one of them, you know, which is, is that he has no real resume. So Shanahan, having taken a gamble and for the moment missed on it, you know, decided, well, I'll go back to the guy I had, which most coaches wouldn't do. They would, you know, they would make their position you know, they would make their situation at the, at the position worse. When he had the choice, though, he said, well, I've got a guy who isn't bad. I'll just go back to him, and he'll take much less money because he doesn't have any leverage, and I can get away with it. And he has gotten away with it. So I, I think what it is here is um, Shanahan will let this play out. And if Purdy looks really, really good – He'll probably stay with them. If he doesn't, you know, if all of a sudden the 49ers have to win 17-10, he'll go back to Garoppolo. I think he can keep an open mind because he's got the luxuries of McCaffrey in that defense. And he relies on him because he knows, as anybody who's paying attention knows, is that's how they're winning. They're not winning because Brock Purdy is magic. They're winning because Christian McCaffrey can't be tackled, and the 49ers do nothing but tackle. Yeah, right. Right. That's very and, true. And, and Ray, that was a perfect lead into my next question. They, they would love to have the 49ers would love to have the the number one seed, but if they do have to go on the road, and, and and if they advance to the championship game, and the Eagles do as well, a couple big ifs, of course. But if that were to happen, this team's ability to go on the road in, in an NFC Championship game, they, what they always say: pack your defense, pack your running game, pack your special teams. The 49ers check those boxes about as well as as anybody. I mean, can you poke? holes and a reason why this team couldn't win a game like that on the road. I, I can't, except for quarterback, well, I guess. I, I could because I'm mean-spirited and hateful. <laughs> and if anybody that. can, it's you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, um, no I, I think, you know, I think that the, the difference between the Eagles and the 49ers has narrowed in the last three weeks, obviously because Jalen Hurts has been hurt. But as I look at this team, you know, I find that Here's what they've done since, you know, since the end of October. They've given up 14, 16, 10, 0, 17, 7, 13, 20, and then the anomaly against the Raiders. So, in other words, I think they can hold anybody down. Uh, the question becomes, can they, you know, can they keep track of the ball when they have them, when they have it? Because their point since the end of October 31, 22, 38, 13, 33, 35, 21, 37, and 37. 
So without having a spectacular, you know, player who just electrifies the game and puts up multiple touchdowns, they score a bunch. Um, and because they're probably the only really good team in the league that is guided by its running game rather than its passing game, they can hold the ball for 37 minutes in a game. And I think that makes them, that gives them a better than just a counterpuncher's chance on the road. Um, I think the, the, the Eagles would give them trouble because their, their defense is also excellent. Uh, I think the Cowboys could give them trouble because the Cowboys can score 40 with the best of them. But I wouldn't put them as a significant underdog against any team except maybe Kansas City. All right, finally, Ray, on the way out, I want to ask you about this because uh, the Phoenix Suns and the Dubs, the Warriors, they're both tied uh, for the final spot in the Western Conference. We're dealing with a lot of weirdness here without Devin Booker. Give us a brief update on the state of your basketball team, the Golden State Warriors. Well, they're not my basketball team. They stick <laughs> me. Um, no, I think they're, they're really simple to figure out. If they hold a team to 110, they win. If it gets to 120, they lose. And the thing about the Warriors, since they started winning championships, is that they win because they are not only an elite offensive team, but an elite defensive team. And this year, they've been a terrible defensive team, which is why they're 20 and 18. Um, I mean, last night was an example of that. They're playing the worst team on God's creation in in Detroit. (laughs) And they can't keep them from getting 120, and they lose. And they deserve to lose. The fact that they haven't figured out how to get their younger guys to be consistently good defensively has been one of the most irksome things that Steve Kerr has dealt with. And as long as that is an issue, they're going to be a play-in team. They're not going to be a top-six team. If they figure it out and they get healthy, I think they can be good as anybody in the conference. But it, it really is it really is starts ends and is predicated on their ability to stop other teams yeah interesting all right no matter what they say you are the best right thanks as always for your time Wait, what about the what about well aren't we talking coyotes <laughs> i want to talk carl Vimalka. <laughs> he's been really good man he's been really good you've got to see a new game in the mullet arena it was named after me ray you got that right. Mallet hit more luck. <laughs> I will see you later, Ray. He is yeah, Ray. See you, <laughs> see you, buddy. Ray Redo, our good buddy from the Bay Area. He's been in TV. He's been in print. He's been in radio everywhere. He's the best. All right, coming up on the other side, we are going to get back to the NFL. We're going to we're going to talk Lamar Jackson and the situation in Baltimore. He's Tim Ring. And a big update from Buffalo. Oh yeah, that dude. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. Welcome back, everybody. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. I am Dan Bickley. And as Jared Carlin said uh, before the break, there is good news coming out of um, Cincinnati, where DeMar Hamlin is still ho- hospitalized. Take it away, Tim Ring. All right, this is courtesy of the Buffalo Bills Twitter account. Per the physicians caring for DeMar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he is making steady 
progress. We are grateful for the love and support we have received. An additional tweet to that, uh, courtesy Ian Rappaport, that DeMar Hamlin opened his eyes last night and is responsive. Yeah, that's fabulous news. That is, and again, this is exactly, I think, what the NFL needed and what the NFL uh, was hoping for. And and I think what it's going to do, it's going to fortify and strengthen um, the rest of these football players to continue on. That's fabulous. Because, again, there was a lot of concern, not only from what we witnessed, but when we found, when we heard the report that he had to be resuscitated twice, a report that was refu- ended up being refuted by his manager, right? And, and then there was just the general belief that when when any person's heart stops – you don't know what comes after that, and there were questions about how much and how fast did he get oxygen supplied to him on that football field. The fact that now that that he's opened his eyes and is responsive, that might mean he's out of the woods, and that is just fabulous news. Obviously, that's the most important news. That is fantastic. I mean, it's I don't can't even think of an adjective. Mm-hmm. I mean, Demar Hamlin, if if he's able to come out of this, is just it's it's incredible, truly yeah, incredible. It really for the, is. from the first responders to what mm-hmm. they did uh, to get in that young man right to the hospital as quickly as, as possible. I will say this now for the NFL, Big, this is kind of what you're talking about. I don't want to say easier, but on, on a scale of difficulty to go ahead and play football in Week 18, while still difficult probably for a lot of football players, mm-hmm. it will be in that space, difficult space, easier easier now we, knowing now that DeMar Hamlin is responsive and has opened his eyes and appears to be in a position to survive. If there were still an unknown, mm-hmm. or Lord forbid, and heaven help us, DeMar had passed, it would have been extremely difficult for a lot of football players to play football on Sunday, especially yeah. especially the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, according to physicians, here's, here's more. At the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, he's shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. According to the Ian Rappaport tweet, he's actually been squeezing the hands of those close to him. So that might be out of the woods time for DeMar Hamlin. That That is fabulous. Now, uh, we started the program by, uh, by telling you that DeMar Hamlin Hamlin's father actually spoke via Zoom to the members of the Buffalo Bills, yeah. and and I think and I don't know what was said, but you you can imagine it would be very supportive and 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 telling probably telling the Bills players that Demar would want you to go on and and all of this. So I I think that um, for the Buffalo Bills, this is probably going to be everything they need to kind of refocus to a season on progress. Now you could almost now rally around and play oh, play play for him, and which would be a very powerful thing. And that would be extremely, extremely powerful. Um, and it, it, again, it's still mm-hmm. difficult, but in that difficult space, this is getting a lot easier to go play football oh, again. Yes. By the way, one of the things Demar Hamlin's father said to the Bills players, and nobody on the Buffalo Bills roster was doing this, but clearly the the, the members of the national media, notably Bart Scott, blaming T. Higgins. Uh, for this, the the father of Demar Hamlin on a Zoom call to the Buffalo Bills actually included with his updates of Demar uh, a, a plea, if you will, to get people to stop blaming T Higgins for what happened in the football game on Monday night. Uh, so was, I thought that yeah, was so listen. clearly so for him to do that in that setting when it was really about Demar. Clearly, that's bothering. 
you know the Hamlin family the, uh, through all this. Listen, there have been a lot of there have been a lot of inappropriate knee jerk reactions to this story, and it's been a very very emotional story. But uh, you know, and it's you look at you look at the course of this. That was the Bart Scott blaming T Higgins was a matter. Uh, the anti vax crowd came out and forced to use this as an example that this is what's happening here. Um, uh, the the Skip Bayless tweet as 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 created quite an outcry. There was a a lot of stuff yesterday about Damar Hamlin and the hidden story here is as a second year pro who is making $875,000 a year. He's not fully vested. So if he cannot play football anymore, um, who is going to take care of this young man? All of this was just horribly premature. And it was a young man fighting for his life. And that latter part. And I don't want to get into it because it was a series of tweets, but Denard, uh, Devon Kennard, mm-hmm. uh, former Cardinal linebacker, was really uh, adamant in, in what the NFLPA does for former players. Could they be better? I'm sure they could. Mm-hmm. But he really took it to, it was I think it was a, a Cleveland sports show that just went to town and it kind of went viral. Yeah, yeah I saw about, that. About, That's about, exactly what it was. About the lack of benefits and he's not vested in the, you know, this and that. And and Kennard was, you know, Combat combated that through a series of tweets, and I would encourage anybody to, to read what he wrote uh, because, again, and it, it goes back to what you were saying, Vic, crazy takes, misinformation, agendas being pushed, mm-hmm. I- incorrect information mm-hmm. about not only the, the health of, of, of Hamlin, but, but but what the league does for, for players. So, yeah, that, it's, been a, it's, it's been a crazy emotional week, which kind of sometimes forces people to be misdirected uh, in their viewpoints and agendas on social media, and, and again, you get you understand why because it was such an emotionally jarring thing and such an emotional story, and 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 again, that the, the that the thing that came viral out of Cleveland came in response to praise for the NFL for having the quick response and the amount of EMTs they had on the scene that that to this day the Hamlin family is effusive in their praise of the NFL to have that it's like no no you can't give credit to the NFL because the NFL is bad and it's there's people got to be all or nothing there's people who just can't say like I hope he gets better I know right there's people who have to have a take on it. Or there's people that have to have a villain like people, like really like well Roger Goodell didn't cancel the game from New York in the first 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. I mean he took 12 minutes to properly assess everything yeah. involved and it happened you know 13 minutes later like a Goodell bad and believe me he there's a lot of things he's deserved criticism for over the years. Yeah. Yeah. But really we're we're going to try to find a villain here. In Roger Goodell, when the man is on the ground fighting for his life, it's like, come on, let's 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 be reasonable about who we're pointing fingers at right now at right. this particular time. Right. Or just why are we pointing fingers right now? Yeah. Why? Why are we pointing why? fingers? Yeah. And exactly, and why are we blaming the NFL for being violent when that violence compels all of us to watch it in the first place? It's really been a crazy microcosm of just how how everything is this or that. Yep. And you know? if you're going to use your fingers, don't use them to point. Use them to text us your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. My man. You're getting better every time, oh, Darren. My man. Well done, Ferret. <laughs> All right, Social Studies with Sarah the Ruthless is next. You're listening to Timbering, Dan Bickley, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.